What's up and welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel and I'm here with a very special guest, uh, Miss Onervaya. Oh, uh, let me not butcher your name. <laughs> you don't try it again. Alighten Onervaya. Onyeboha. Yeah, Onyeboha. Onyeboha. Yes. Uh, she, is the, she is the co-founder of the Black Business Network New Brunswick. She is also a consultant. Uh, she has many things. If you look at her LinkedIn, she has an MBA. She has a, a bunch of degrees. So, I mean, we're going to let her tell the story. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Fidel. I really appreciate it. And um, I just want to use this medium to say happy International Women's Day to all the women out there, you know, holding things together in the home, at work and in the community. So my name is Olaiton Onyebonha. Thanks for having me. I immigrated to Canada in 2014 with my two um, oldest um, kids. Then one was actually four and the other one uh, was two as at that time. And I happened to be uh, the first student coming from Nigeria, you know, with two children into the MBA Wow. Program. Yes, we've seen other students from other country come with their family, like literally move with their spouse to assist. But I have a working, um, a, a, a spouse who travels a lot, even before the MBA program. He was working with Procter & Gamble as at that time, and he's always on the road. So I knew I had already prepared for a day that would come when I had to travel, even though he accompanied me, but he, he had to go back for work assignments. So I was here for to enroll at the MBA program, which happens to be an intensive program, because typically, you know, the MBA school usually takes two years, you know, to complete the program. But it was pretty much an intensive MBA program. There was no vacation, there was nothing. And I had two children to also Don't, look after. Two children. That's 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 a lot. So let, let's talk about that for the beginning. You're originally from Nigeria, born and yes. raised. Yes, born and so, raised. I was born in Lagos State, Nigeria and raised in Lagos wow. State. And I schooled so, across uh, Nigeria. So, so Lagos is the capital, is that correct? Lagos used to be the capital of Nigeria before it was moved to the federal capital territory, Abuja, now. Now, now it's Abuja. So uh, yeah. now for those people that don't know, Nigeria is the most populous uh, country in Africa. Uh, and it said that one out of 10 people in Africa are Nigerian, which is a big continent, right? It's not like uh, for those people, our listeners know, but most people know Africa is a continent. It's not a country. It's a continent. <laughs> and there's many countries in that continent. So so tell us about your life, a little bit about your life in Nigeria. How did you grow up there? Yeah. And thank you so much for clarifying that, because sometimes when we tell people we're from Nigeria, people say you are from Africa. So thank you so much for correcting and clarifying <laughs> that aspect that Nigeria is not uh, Africa itself, but it's, it's a country in West Africa. So I grew up in Lagos and um, I had um, the opportunity to, um, my mom and dad, they're from the Southwestern part of um, Nigeria, Oshun States. And uh, we have something that is very unique to us, which is our dialects. So growing up in Lagos means that we were speaking the central Yoruba language, you know, which is pretty much the general one that you see people talk about, apart from the regular English that we speak and also the pidgin English that is being spoken. But I grew up in a home where my grandma stays in Lagos as well. I had my great grandma up until like the um, early 2000s where, you know, she before she passed on. So there's this dialect that my mom and my dad speaks as well. And anytime they speak, we try to listen. Sometimes we don't even understand, but they say they're speaking something. So we started growing up, they were teaching us most times we were raised with proverbial words. My parents, they have a way of, you know, driving on morals with the use of proverbs. And when they share the proverbs, they try to interpret and describe, describe it with lessons, like uh, maybe like folk and tales, folk tales and all that. So we were pretty much, um, I had a very rich, you know, cultural upbringing, despite the fact that I grew up in Lagos. And that also goes on to any time, even as of today, 
when I speak some part of Yoruba, people don't even, they don't, they kind of, they, they get shocked like, whoa, so you speak this deep and all that. So it was true the way my parents raised us. And many times when my grandma comes around too, she tries to tell us stories and um, uh, many times as well, too, they try to like make us do uh, chores in a different way, according to the olden days, by sometimes we use um, stone, you know, to blend um, tomatoes. Because my grandma used to say that it, it tastes sweeter than when you have to use the blender or, you know, the grinding oh. machine. And truly it does, actually. So wow. <laughs> we saw it as punishment then. But I learned those, my Heather brothers, everybody, every Sunday, we, we eat pounded yam with vegetable soup. So we're always looking forward to that time. Like everybody gets to like take turns to pound and then we sing and then we just share stories. So I love the way my parents raised us and also we're person of faith. You know, I grew up uh, in, as a Baptist and until I got married and then um, I changed. So, and then I schooled then, my father moved because he was working with Post and Telegrams. Then he moved from Lagos to Ashton State where I started my elementary. And five years after we moved back to Lagos and my education continued from there. Upon graduation from my school, I went to the Polytechnic where I read marketing at the um, Federal Polytechnic there, Ocean State. So I graduated from that program and I went straight to the university to study business administration and um, with a major concentration in organizational behavior and strategic management. So I graduated first class in my class in that year and the second best in my faculty from the University of um, Benin, Nigeria. Then afterwards, I became married after I graduated because I was always telling my people like, when I graduate, I really want to get married. Even then, I didn't even know that I'm gonna get married. Truly, really, but that was what I wanted. <laughs> so, so hold on. So, like, if you you as soon as you graduated, you got married. That like that was like you graduated and then got married. Yeah, I got married. I think um two years after. Yeah, because I had to go for the compulsory um, national youth service in Nigeria. If you graduate in Nigeria, you need to be mobilized to serve your country for one year. And through oh, really? that. Yes, you have to go through this paramilitary training. Uh, in then you have the armed forces they come through for the first three weeks uh, orientation at the camp. You know, I was posted to Ebony State, Abakaliki, where I did the three or um, three uh, weeks orientation. It was pretty much an opportunity also for me to learn. You know, for um, to go to the southeastern part of Nigeria to uh, get my orientation done. And truthfully, I wasn't ready to stay. So I, relo- I re- redeployed back to Lagos and um, from the redeployment camp, I got the opportunity and a call-up letter to work in ExxonMobil. So that was where I started my, um, my NYSC, pretty much like an internship, but a one-year uh, experience where you get to serve in that capacity. The company pays you, but then you still need to do a lot of uh, the national youth service um, scheme where you work so- on the project. So how does that work? Like, do you know the reason why you guys, like, do you learn like technical combat, like, like army things? Yes, yes. So, you, so, you have to go climb. You wake up early in the morning for the morning drill. You go out there, you run, you jog, you do everything. You do three climbing rope and all that, you, you know, so many things like that. It's exhausting, but it's. <laughs> and everybody has to go through that once you, once you graduate university. Yeah, the only time, again, there is, I think there is an age, um, uh, age range to it. I think as I did, if you're over 30, you, you, you may not be redeployed, you may not be mobilized for it. I don't know whether that's over 30 or there, but there is an age range, you know, for those who are eligible to serve. And there are some people due to health reasons, they might not be able to do so. Okay. Okay. No, that, that's quite interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that, that, uh, that there's a mandatory military service in Nigeria, uh, countries like Israel and Sweden and Norway have it. Uh, it's not common in Canada, but it, it's, it's, cert- it's certainly kind of interesting. So you, I think it's I'm assuming paramilitary. they call it paramilitary because it's not full. It's not um, the typical uh, military training, but they get the military, like people, um, in the army to come through and then um, coordinate those activities for three weeks. So when you when you get by the end of the three weeks, you will get a call up letter for you to go and serve in an organization. You know, and and while you serve in an organization, you report to the directorate office, like the NYSC office, every week. 
for your regular community service program. So that way you will work with some people and um, deliver on a project that serve the community where you have been posted to for that one year. During oh. my own time, after my first three weeks that I, I had to redeploy to Lagos because of my health and some other things. So that time when I was posted to the ExxonMobil to serve in the Human Resources Department, I still go to the um, NYC office every Thursday uh, for my community development activity projects. It's pretty much like a, a millennial development goals is in uh, compliance with the millen millennial development goal of the Federal Republic of Nigeria at that time. So I worked with um, the health group to, you know, to execute a project working with the um, US United States AM agency, USAID, we call them USAID, you know, to um, deliver some mosquito nets to some primary and secondary schools in that community, Etiosa local government, Victoria Island, Lagos. So we have that project and we also educate those students about, you know, malaria, uh, what malaria does to people. And, you know, malaria is one of the problem and one of the, um, um, one of the, uh, the, the uh, health issues that is actually prevalent in Nigeria, even Africa, it kills pregnant women. It also kills children. So we're able to like educate those kids what they can use, how they can use the, um, the mosquito net, you know, so we presented one for each one of them. So it was a very huge project for that year. While I was working, we were doing that. So after one year, you can now go into full paid employment, which I did oh, for wow. one year. Then I go married. I, you got so you got all your events. So it seems like like you you got like you were living a fast life at a at a big city. Like like you were yes. like boom go go like get a job get married have kids like like is that something that is like in your family like it's integrated like it's like you have you 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 move things fast because again I'm from a big city too and usually things move faster. Uh, so was that a thing like like happening in your family, like education and family were like a priority? Yeah, education was actually a priority. My father is um, happens to, in fact, what, growing up, I am pretty much curious. Uh, the, uh, my mom used to call me um, CC, like they used to say curiosity kills the cat in your own case. Curiosity saves the cat. So she calls me CC. So because I'm always I really want to learn everything ground up. Though my uh, we were pretty much we, my parents encouraged us to you know just explore, learn, make mistakes, and you learn from it. So growing up, I saw myself as somebody that is willing to go on an adventure. You always see me in my mom's shop, you know, helping her. In fact, my mom named a shop after my name. I have this name Bola Dale, so that's another name that I bear. So she named a shop. She named a shop, you know. In, uh, using my name then. I see myself in the morning when my mom wants to, you know, getting up at 5.30, I'm waking up and say, mom, I want to go with you to the bakery, you know, to pick up the bread, to come back home, to assist you in the shop while I'm reading. So I'm, I'm pretty much somebody that is interested in business. I just want to know how she does it and all that. And there's something with me, I work with pictorial examples and all that. So picture, graphs, everything sticks with me. Even when I'm not reading at school, my mom used to say, I don't know how you do it. I don't know whether there's somebody that is whispering answers to you here. You just succeed. I don't know. So but when it comes to graphs, figures, I thrive. So I'm like that. Just always active here, here, here and there. And Oh, wow. That, that's that's intense. So you're 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 like a busy bee and you're always curious. So, yeah, that that is part of business. Like uh, to to be in business, you have to be curious and you always have to ask questions and you always have to be like figure out how things work so so you 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 have this you have a you have a career in nigeria uh you have already you know you get married you have children what makes you decide to come to canada out of all places good question so the journey like you know sometimes when you set out to do something until you get that activity done you would not learn about the advantage and the disadvantage that you know uh, comes with it. So I realized that again, having graduated with the degree I had, I I got married, I had started raising my children, and again having to juggle the fact that my husband is not always around because he travels like um, let's say sixty five percent in a year, 
And yeah, if he's not in Cincinnati, he's somewhere in uh, West Africa, working on brand, doing quite a number of things. And I feel I need a job that will be flexible so that the home front does not suffer, right? I've got you know two young boys and fortunately, most of the jobs in Nigeria comes at a price. You just have to work round the clock. Some, and due to traffic situation, most people travel distance. And if you don't leave your home at 5.30 a.m., you might not be able to get to work at eight o'clock that you're expected to resume. So it's like that cycle. And by the time you close, if you don't leave your office like five o'clock or thereabout, you get stuck in traffic. Sometimes you get them like 11 and all that because you know Lagos is a very busy city and traffic congestion is one of the issues that you have there. So I thought to myself, I want to be able to see my children in the morning before they go to school. I want to be able to, you know, talk them in bed at night, you know, pray with them before they sleep. So those were the considerations that made me to just stay with them, raise them. And during that time, I met with one of my um, pastor in the youth church then, Pastor Amido Kemi, so rest in peace now. He owned a company as at that time that I had my first internship, Amco Engineering Works. We're into uh, building of drainages and construction. So I did my internship there the first time. And then by the time we connected again, after I graduated and I've had my first son. So I just told him my challenges around getting the job. I was like, oh, a lady with a first class. You can't, no, 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 no. I know, I understand. Because he is in Canada. He, he was already, I think he was already a citizen of Canada. And he understands the, the work, he understood the work culture around women having that flexibility. So he told me, my dear, don't worry. You have a job in my office already. Just come on Monday and come resume. Any, how you want to do it is up to you. Be flexible as much, so long as you achieve what you want to do for me. And that was it. So I got in there. I told him I can only do three times in a week. And uh, he said, no problem. Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday. Resume at nine o'clock, close at three o'clock. That was what he said to me. Because you have a kid. You need to look after your kid. And the way this man literally managed the company, he managed it like what you see here in Canada where there is respect for women that has children and they need to have the work-life balance. So that started like now changing my mindset. And before then, I've already applied to UK for my master's, gotten um, an admission somewhere. I also applied to the US. But then there was something about UK that made us to have a rethink. That was when the, um, I think um, Gordon Brown left office and then David Cameron came on board. Then there was a policy around international student upon graduation from the program, you just have to go home, no more work experience. And I really wanted an international work experience where I can just, you know, understand the work culture after I graduated. So I told my husband, I really don't think this is an option. And another major scare was um, the killing of black boys on the street of London, you know. I knew I was going with my children. I just said, I'm not sure I'm ready for UK. We tried US with the same story again around racial, um, issues became becoming scary. We just said, well, Canada is like a very quiet, diverse community where we see a lot of people. And that's where my, manage, my manager, you know, has his children, he moved his family there. So I spoke with him, was like, all right, Tom, that's the right decision. I, I commend you and your husband for changing your mind about UK and the US. And that was why I started researching schools that can accommodate our, our budget because we're, we're ready to go through uh, loan. And mind you, Nigerian, if you're studying abroad, unlike other students, they ca we cannot get loans from our governments. So you have to self-fund your education. And our exchange rate is on the increase, like so high, higher than other countries. So we wanted to make sure that we were able to save enough and push ourselves through with our savings. So we searched and we also wanted a, a program that is, you know, not extended for a very long time because the longer you stay in the system as an international student, the longer your bills. So the UMB St. John MBA program, after searching all schools in Canada, actually checked the box for everything we needed. You know, we did our Excel sheets. Oh, really? And being, yes. And that's why I came here. And fortunately, reaching out to all, all schools, Sarah Craig is always quick to respond. So that was how we just kicked up that relationship. And it was, it was a great one. She made us feel welcome even before we arrived. So that was why I settled for the MBA program here. And it's been like uh, an adventurous uh, journey since then. 
Oh wow, that's amazing that uh, that you were able to check. Like you, you, you certainly did your research because you were looking yes. at other countries, and then you got that. So, what was the reaction when you come from big Lego city population, like seven, maybe eight million, close to ten million people, to St. John's, New Brunswick? That population is eighty thousand people. <laughs> like, how? Yeah. What was your first reaction? Yeah. So, good question. Like I said, I, I, I've been used to this situation that kind of scenario before when I went to my first school where I had um, my diploma. I've been to, I've moved from Lagos before to Oshun State, you know, like moving from a big city to a village, so to say. So, and I'm pretty much somebody that I love to stay indoors. So it doesn't bother me if we have just two person living in this, in this community. I'm always someone that stays indoor. Even the way I live my life here in St. John, a lot of things that I do, my inspiration is from within and the things that I watch. So I was ready for this. And I also said to myself, because of the fact that I was coming with children, I just needed a very, you know, uh, a small community that I can just, you know, get to know you one-on-one, -on -one, you know, so that my children too can grow up with that spirit of, you know, community, you know, they will have that value as one of the things that drives them. So coming in, and I was coming in for study. You won't even see yourself over the next one year. And that was what happened. Because it was always from class to group work. From group work, I'm going to pick up the children from the daycare. And from daycare, going back to class. You know, once I hand them over to the nanny, because I had to put them in the daycare, I also hired the nanny, you know, to be able to stay with them while in class. So it's like a triangular move where I wasn't even until I graduated then graduation means that you need to like keep up with what lies ahead. So it, it become, it, you know, it went on and on like that. Now, did you have any support? Like, is there a Nigerian community in St. John that you had like a, any type of back educate, like, like some type of backup or support system from people in your, in your country? Well, when I was coming, I know that I was connected with two wonderful MBA uh, students who were about to graduate that time. One of them um, is a Ifai Irebu, is, um, an, is, a, is a professor in one of the colleges in Toronto now. He graduated from the MBA program the year before me. But before they left, uh, I was connected to Ifai to help with the you know, accommodation because I knew I was coming with children. And most of the students never had, you know, they don't understand, they can't understand me because they don't have children, they're not even married. So I, I needed to plan to the pain that I, I needed. So got an accommodation a month before coming in. I had to find a daycare for them from Nigeria, speaking to the uh, centers around the school, you know, making sure that I, I get a curtain, you know, get pots, get everything in just in case. That's how I plan my life. Boys be good, be prepared. So I was ready for that. And thankfully, my husband too, he has made some Excel sheets to make sure that whatever happens, these children will be, will be okay on their own. But coming in, we still need that community, right? The second person who assisted me was Kobina. After Ifain had to go on his international business stream, he handed me over to Kobina. Kobina also is still in the city of St. John till tomorrow. So when I came in, I needed a nanny. The nanny that I've arranged from Nigeria told me she was ready to work. Unfortunately, she worked for two weeks and then started demanding more. We're paying her, I think, put $10 per hour. Then she started demanding more that, okay, no, she wants $13 or she won't come the next day. And the next day was the day I was gonna write a, a test. So unfortunately, I had to write my test another day, started looking for another nanny. So it was more like disappointment. I come in today, I can't find any. The Nigerians that are available on ground, they're also students. So, they can't even help me. We have Nigerians, seven Nigerians in my set. So because of those people, they felt the way I was struggling. So some of them will now tell me, okay, since we're not in the same group, I can help you look after them while you're in class. So we started, started doing rotation um, work. We have uh, Rachel Adeyemo, Christine Eroku, Samuel Oyemala is in Alberta now, he works with IBM, we work together in IBM. Uh, Toby, so Festus and Stephanie. So there were seven of us. So they started helping. They would do rotation. Sometimes I'm in class, they come to BBC, they bring their book, 
they start reading. Then some that I can find, I, I bring them in in the undergraduates and pay them for their hourly stay. Then it became so tough that I needed to meet up with my deliverables. So the MBA program through Michelle Scott, she connected me with the St. John Newcomer Center. There and there, I found two beautiful um, Asian ladies that assisted me during that time. They were very, very uh, amazing. It was so amazing. Sometimes they helped me with my laundry before I come back. It would help me fold. It was, anytime I remember this, uh, this, 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 what I'm saying, I feel so emotional because it was a, it was a journey, it was a race that I was running. Sometimes I get tired, but I, I just have to continue to, you know, to, to tag along to forge ahead. But those ladies came, those two Asians came and they made life a bit easy for me. Sometimes they come to pick up. I still have my two boys then. They come to pick them up with, my, with their car seats and take them out so that I can read. So the support I got from Amy Fan and TA was very, 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 you know, helpful. Oh, wow. Seems, seems like the city of St. John has been very good to you. Like they, they were able to, to accommodate you very, very well. They've been so great to me. Like I traveled in between to Ottawa with my oldest kid then. And the, the treatment I got on the bus and navigating my way through the city that day, I said to myself, no, big city in Canada is not, is not, is not the one for me. We would rather stay in St. John. Yeah, St. John has been great. And um, I appreciate the people that I've met along the line. And that kind of behooved me to give back to looking through those that I never knew from anywhere who took me on and, you know, they supported me. That was what breathed um, my business, Ocreate Consulting. Yeah, and we're gonna go to that, and and I think that's the thing. Like, uh, when you are, like you said, there's a lot of young people, young young African students or immigrant students coming, and there's not a whole lot for when you're younger. You 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 want to live that hustle and bustle life, and and maybe the Maritimes may not be for you. Maybe Halifax, Halifax maybe, and and there's things here and there. But to somebody that has a family. Uh, just like you said, it, this is a very accommodating place to raise a family because there's it's quiet. There's not a a lot of violence going on here. There's not nothing a lot. You can get your kids to school and you can get people yeah. to help you, right? So, yeah. so that's definitely very the very good thing about the Maritimes, and and yeah. I'm glad that you 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 can share that story with us. So when you graduate, you start is that you start automatically a consulting business, or how did that came up? Yeah, well, before I left Nigeria, I have been, I have laid my hands on, you know, again, anything I do is just born out of the gap that I try to like close on or a need that I try to like fill in. So I started um, helping some colleagues and friends to solve their um, logistics and grocery needs. Those are professionals. Then when I just gave birth to my son, I realized that I go to, there's a part we call in Lagos that is called, in Lagos Island that is called Eko Idumota. That's the very, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest markets we have in Lagos, if not the biggest anyways. So I go there to do bulk uh, monthly shopping. And sometimes my friends will be complaining, oh, I can't even do shopping. The weekend I have is so short and I need to attend parties. I need to do this. I just tell them, okay, fine. I have um, an SUV. If you want anything, I can help you buy it, you know? So I started, they will send their list. <laughs> They would send their lists, you know, I'll buy. So I realized that, oh, this is something that I could even commercialize in a way. So I started having a price start to it. So it became like every month I do this, you pay this. And I also was helping some firms to do market research. While I go do the book shopping, I can engage, you know, the sellers to ask questions about the particular brand, how, you know, versus the other brand. So the response and the, um, the result from the survey is what, um, is what those um, people who has contracted me normally use for some innovations in their business. So I started doing that and I never put a name to the business. So when I came into the MBA program, we were talking about what you've been doing and all that. So I mentioned that, but I never thought of now changing it into like an international education recruitment until much later. When I graduated, I got a job with um, TD Insurance. So I worked with TD Insurance for almost one year. And then because of the, um, the time, I loved the environment of work at TD. Like it was just like another place where you see a diverse community of people from different backgrounds. 
But unfortunately, the time didn't work for me as a, as a mom. Working 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. was not a good one for me. Because what that meant was that I needed to get the children to a daycare, after school rather, after school. And by six o'clock when I am still at work, I need to get somebody to pick them up and probably take them home and be with them. Unfortunately, I couldn't get someone. So what I did and TD Insurance um, um, Management, you know, gave me that uh, flexibility was to move my break time to 6 p.m. So during those times, I would quickly rush to go pick them up from the daycare and then drive them uptown where the person who wants to help stay with them is drop them off and rush back to work. So what that meant was that I never had lunch. So I don't eat during that one hour. And then until 11 p.m. midnight, when I have to clock off and then start driving from there to uptown to pick them up when they're already sleeping. And then we head back to where we're staying. Sometimes we get them like 1 a.m. So that was more like, that wasn't the life for me. And I started, because of all the expenses around it, what I was getting paid was not even meeting up with what I was, you know, pushing out as part of expenses because I was they hadn't given daycare. I was hiring a nanny, and the credit card. I was just dipping into the credit card. And I said, to, at some point, my husband told me, "Please stop this. It's not compulsory. You work. I can't." I said, "No." I and then permanent residency was not easy as you have it now. You need to complete a one-year work term before you would be eligible for the Canadian experience class of immigration so that you can become a permanent resident. So I just wanted to just click off that one year, just struggle whatever expenses that I make, I know I will pay it back. But one night after I look at, somebody called me in this community and told me that you've been able to help me to come in. Even everything you have done for me, you never charge me for anything. I have friends that want to, why can't you make this you know, a commercial thing. You you selflessly help. I can, you know, send people to you. I was like, ah, well, let's see how it goes. So that was how the idea popped. And as I arrived home October 26, 2016, I just said, why not just let me give this a try? If I set up and I'm able to do this well, I can just decide to go out there as a small business owner and, you know, walk around my time so long as these children's needs are kept because then I felt that I wasn't really looking at this student the right way because I don't even get to relate with them. So that was how I started. I registered the business that night. Uh, no, I called a friend in Nigeria because then we were four hours um, behind. So I had to wait until 2 a.m. because already I was already home at 1 a.m. I couldn't even sleep. So I just waited till 2 a.m. And I called a friend and told her that I would need you to help me to go to, you know, Abuja, and she was in Abuja, I want to incorporate my business as a sole proprietor in Nigeria. Because as a temporary resident as well to here, there are some requirements that cannot help me meet the eligibility of incorporating a business as at that time. So I felt registering a business in Nigeria could help me to now register the business name here. There are some, te there are some techniques and the requirement processes under that. So I was able to register in Nigeria and then I used the registered business name in Nigeria to come register. The name, I was like, what name, what name can I use? I just put all our names together. My last name, my husband's um, English name, middle name, my own middle name, my first son's middle name, and then my second son's middle name then, just two. That was, I just put the name together and then just, just do this for me and that was it. And that was what I started, started helping students you know, to come through, but then I still had to work. So I made it like, okay, weekend things, I can help. So that was how I started. So I was working as a professional, still working as a professional, and then I was running the business on the side. It's just a weekend thing, and sometimes at night, depending on. So it was like a, a side hustle at first. That's that's pretty yeah. much how it works. And and yeah. then it uh, over time, then it turns out to be a full-time gig. No, it's still a side hustle, actually. But the thing it's is, still? we have, yeah, I have teams in Nigeria now. There are some ladies I was mentoring then, and when she lost her job, and it was COVID. So I just told her, would you be ready to manage uh, Okereje as a social media um, lead? 
She was like, yeah, she does that. She has a business too on her own side, but she wants flexible and she wants income. So that was how I hired her on the 1st of um, July, 2020, you know, to kickstart. Okay. And then she became a team member. And when the business started growing, we hired another person and then another person. So I have three people working part-time, one in the graphics and then marketing, the other one admin. And then we have the apl- application team lead that assists with the applications. So, so hold on. So just to let people know, because uh, me and you, we had an interview with Ebenezer about NCBC Radio prior uh, prior Black History Month. You guys can still check that out on the C- on CBC Radio website, Moncton. Uh, but people don't understand you are a mother, you are a business owner, you're a co-founder of a nonprofit, and you, you work on Like, how do you have time to do all of this? Passion, multitasking, and um, I have a way and delegation. Yeah, I don't micromanage my team. I, for the admission, for the Oak Ridge side of things, there is a system on ground, and I'm somebody that believes in system. So many a time before they join me, I already have like a recording. So even if I'm not around, they know what to do. So that one is not pretty much something that I'm involved in. And then as a mom. Raising my children, like when we were in Nigeria, I stayed, you know, two years. In Nigeria, you just give birth the next minute, three months, you're back to work. But because I really didn't get the kind of job I wanted in terms of the flexibility, like I said, I stayed back to, you know, raise my child in a way that I, because I knew we were moving. And my husband too is, is, a, is a massive supporter. He runs ideas, we, we bounce ideas around and all that. So. Working with him as also another uh, backbone helps make this life easy. He supports every decisions that I make. You know, even though sometimes we don't always agree on some of these things, he wants me to slow down. I want to just branch out and just keep chasing it and, you know, all that. But like I said, passion is what makes the difference. If you're passionate about something, you would always, you know, find a blend, how you can blend everything together. And like I said, I'm an indoor person. While my friends are out there partying, watching Netflix and all that, I manage my time. So that's how I do what I do. And then dedication, um, when you have a dedicated team, you know, you let them make mistakes and you don't, you know, and then they learn from it. So that's why I have been able to delegate. I delegate a lot. And my mom also, she supports me from afar, shares ideas with me, talk about people who can assist and all that. Yeah. And the community people, my friends here, you know, they're amazing. And so when you have this community, it makes the boarding lighter. Oh, wow. That, that is, that is good. I mean, I, I, I should definitely learn from you how to do systems because <laughs> I, I juggle a lot of things too. And sometimes they, they kind of fumble what I get, I get back up. So uh, tell us a little bit about the, the business network, the New Brunswick Black Business Network. Uh, this is something that it just started last year. Is that correct? Yes, is yeah. We we started the first the first event was um, last year. It was incorporated in two thousand and uh, yeah, two thousand and twenty. So, yeah. So give give us a like how did that idea came and and what's been the progress of it right now? Yeah, the idea came in two thousand and twenty September when we met. Uh, we were uptown. The Black History Society, uh, Ralph Thomas uh, Lee Song, and the mem- and the Prude Inc. Um, team, you know, they had the premiere over to, they wanted to show him quite a lot of things and what they have been doing. And the discussion went in the direction of, okay, you know, the, the, the Indians have their community of professionals where they meet, they share ideas, same with the uh, Chinese, same with some other, you know, communities like the Syrian community. And we felt that, okay, though we have the Black History Society, we have the Black Lives Matters, there is something, there is an element also that is missing, which is the economic driver, right? You have business people that are that are looking to be, you know, economic contributors. You also have the professionals like us. When we came in, there were so many losses we, 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 we have on our record that could have been avoided, or there are so many delays where, you know, a lot of us just had to get the kind of job we wanted. You can see from my story how I had to, I had no choice but to just jump on a three to nine after I had managed to go to 
a shop to take on a kitchen supervisor. The story is on another, on another interview there. So I struggled to get to where I was as at you know, the time I've, I was talking to the people then. And I say that if we have an association where people come through, they share with us their skill set. And through that sharing, we will know somebody who knows somebody who can assist. So that means we are like an hub with a, with a door that is open to all Blacks to come through, to bounce our ideas around. Even if we don't have the need for it now, we throw it into an idea vault, you understand? So that was what necessitated the establishment of the association. And um, after two days, there was an announcement by the Prime Minister of um, Saint, um, New Bruns, um, Canada when he talked about the uh, Black, um, um, black um, entrepreneurship um, grants that was made you know, possible through the active uh, contribution of organizations like BBI, I think like The Face, and also another Quebec uh, association. So I Googled the BBI, Black Business Initiative, and looking at their model, how they started, we started replicating, we started working in that direction slowly though, because every one of the persons that I reached out to who bought into the idea were either a nine to fiver or, you know, student. So, and even some were even business owner and also doctoral candidates in schools where time is not always available. So that's why it took us forever to finally come through with our first project last December, about a year and then three months after the idea popped. So the progress, according to what you, uh, you, you asked, we have been able to, after the first inaugural project that we had, that was sponsored by the Canadian Race Relations Foundation, which was about um, networking across culture. In, um, during that, um, that workshop, we had um, a John Maxwell, a certified John Maxwell um, coach, Esther. She's also another international student that I assisted in studying in Canada, but she's now a business owner and a consultant. So she was the lead um, moderator. And we, we talked about so many things, what's, you know, uh, what it means to network in the workplace without losing your identity, your cultural identity, how you can utilize the disc, um, there's this thing they call disc, um, this personality um, strategy, so to say, to know your kind of person and use that as a strength, not as a weakness. So after, at the end of the, the seminar, it was the feedback was overwhelming. It was amazing. We thought we couldn't pull it off, but we did. So by January of this year, we had the opportunity to uh, open up our platform to um, the procurement, Atlantic Procurement Department uh, of the Government of Canada for them to come talk to us about what we can sell to the Government of Canada and how we can also become like um, a vendor, you know, so this was a session that was held here online, virtual. We had um, a procurement um, top officers from the city of St. John as well on that call and feedback from that event too was amazing. But going forward, we just felt that we still need to like uh, connect with other, uh, other, other community, which means the Anglophone community. And those are the things we're doing now in the background to bring everybody forward because it's all about representation. When we say black, we have the anglophone and also we have the francophone side to it. And we're also looking to venture head on into research because research will be a key driver to understand what, who are the black business owners and not just black business owners. We're talking about people with ideas that have not actually you know, gone to the market. They have not you know, commercialized that idea. We're also looking at professionals that are entrepreneurs that have the idea that are looking to work with entrepreneurs. So those are the category of people that we want to research and create a database for. That is the next project where we also explore other ways to partner with the community because it's all about bilateral relationship. It's not, we cannot just exist in isolation. So that's, um, that's what uh, uh, that's I, I, I think that's I think I think that's very interesting what you guys are doing. That uh, there is a there is a need for it. There there is a lot of black business owners that uh, they start and they they manage, but they don't have the data or the expertise to like growth. And I think that's the the that is part of of what uh, networks do. Networks can align to growth, and and that's very important. So how's the reception been like to that? Because that's how I 
I reached out because I was like, oh, this is really cool. Let me let me try to interview the people that are that are up to you. How's the, how's the reception been from the black community in New Brunswick? Yeah, it's been great so far. We 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 are the type. The thing is, all the eleven um, co-founders. There is something about us that that has been great. Like always, you know, going out there, talking about us, sharing ideas, looking for ways to collaborate. And most of the people that we've reached out to. They've received us with open hands, you know, and they are willing and ready, you know, to assist in any way they can. Not only the Black Association, um, the Black community, we have seen tremendous, you know, uh, uh, welcome, you know, uh, they, we've seen support from the locals, the, the Canadians, you know, they, they think we are doing the right thing. And they feel like they, they also, they, they've also offered to support in any way they can, you know, on our programming, on other ways. So it's been great. We just feel like the aspect that needs to be covered is for us to continue to explore the programs that address the very essence of our existence, you know, which is like making sure that we empower people, we assist with training. So those are the next key things we want to look at. But without a foundation, you know, we cannot go as far as we can. So we want to address everything from the root cause first, like understanding what data we have, what are they need. Data would help us to drive our surveys out there to understand the peculiar needs that ties everybody, you know, that binds us together. And then we can now start, you know, um, adapting the programs to fit the need because that is the ultimate thing. It's not about us now, it's about addressing the need that, that creates that gap or give that setback to people. Yeah, I think empowering is really important because I, I think uh, I interview uh, another person. He was the he's the founder of uh, of Battle of the Arts. Sa, uh, shout out to him, and he said something important. He said that uh, you know we want to perform at the theater, which is good, but it would be better if we have our own theater. And the only way that you can do that is by empowering people. Like you, you can't, you can't do a theater if you don't, if you don't empower that person to do it. And I, and I think that's very important to, to what you're saying. And so far, what you have seen uh, with black businesses and talk to black business owners, uh, besides empowerment and, and data, uh, what else do you think in your personal experience that people people have some type of misconception about businesses, especially here in the Maritimes. Have you seen any of that? Or, or you think that uh, people are following the right, the right path to start a business, especially when you're an immigrant? Thank you. Just to add a, uh, briefly to what you said about Sir, Sir Andrew is also a co-founder and a major you know, um, um, support for most of the things that the Black Business uh, and Professional Network has done so far. I just want to use this medium to say thank you to him. We appreciate his contribution. Now, on what you have said, yeah, it's been challenging for some businesses that I have had the opportunity to interview. Some of them have um, they've highlighted some specific thing as part of the issue they faced during this period. Please just give me a minute. Let me take, take this one. So one of the uh, issues that um, I know for sure is the lack of knowledge about some of the businesses that these immigrant business persons are looking to, you know, to introduce, to innovate and to grow, you know, for the economic growth of the, uh, this province. One person told me one time that when the business approached um, the organization charged the responsibility of supporting their business, this person was told point blank, that we, you can, we can't support your business because it is a risky business. And this business as of today thrives so well has received you know, massive recognition in this community just because this person never allowed that word to, you know, to discourage the business in question and has gone to put family savings support together to grow the business to where it is today. This is a business that if, there had been an opportunity to have a black person from that community or that has an idea of what that business entails, of what the risk factor is and what the opportunity is, then they would have been able to weigh the opportunity, the trait, and you know, the greater 
good. The greater, because this business does a lot of immigrants, um, a greater good. So that's one thing. I think that most organizations needs to have a representation of culture. Because when I say culture, if I, as a black person, I'm looking to reinvent a business that could serve the need of immigrants, and as you know now, the, 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 the rate at which immigrants has come into this community has gone on to show us that with a lot of, um, a lot of support for them, we can also have some other ideas and projects that could drive a lot of gains to the province. So if we have like a black person helping to review such ideas, it will go a long way in advising the key decision maker, the key decision maker, the right way to go about the business. It is a very thing to understand about businesses. And it's, and it's something that, you know, I think a lot of people do not understand that part that sometimes it's just uh, the fact that some people don't understand the business and when they think there's risky, but it's because they don't understand the culture. So I think culture has a lot to do with it uh, to make sure that uh, people understand their, their business strategy. And I do agree. I think uh, I remember one time that somebody tried to do uh, a textile company uh, with saying with things from their country, but they didn't understand the concept. And there's like, oh, it, it's normal in my country. And it's like, well, it's not normal here, so we can't succeed. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. That's that's not true. <laughs> like, exactly. you, you, you got to make sure that like you got to make sure that 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 when you do your market research, that, that's not necessarily true. So yeah. I, I definitely ag agree on that. So uh, I know you're a busy woman because I see uh, <laughs> A lot of noise I mean, in the background. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. I mean, I definitely see, you know, I definitely see that you, you have a lot on your plate. So and you have the two lovely children, which I, I gotta say that they're very, they very three. lovely kids. Three boys. Three. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so oh wow, boys. Uh yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> I understand. So uh, if people want to find out about you or the New Brunswick uh, network, uh, where do they go to? Like how do they find you or how do they find the uh, the New Brunswick Black Business Network? Uh, thank you so much. We are on uh, our website is um, www.bbpn.ca, and um, email info at bbpn.ca is another opportunity to reach out to us. If you're looking to collaborate on any projects, you can email project one at bbpn.ca or project two at bbpn.ca. Those are the two. Um, uh, we have two vice presidents working on various projects and. Um, activities that is going to that we're going to be rolling out over the next um, couple of months then um our we're on instagram as bbpn underscore new brunswick we're also on linkedin black business and um, professional network we are also on facebook and twitter so that's where we're at i mean uh i do have to thank you for this interview uh i definitely I think it's very important what you and, and what the organization is doing. I, I really hope for the best and you can count on this platform for anything that you guys need. Uh, we definitely want to make sure that this thrives because I think it's necessary uh, in New Brunswick and in, in Atlantic Canada. So guys, uh, if you want to know more, just uh, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcast. Uh, you can also go on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Black in the Maritimes. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.